Warning, this episode may contain bad words and probably discussions of gross stuff. It's what we do. The year is 1846, and a patient is nervously awaiting the arrival of his surgeon in the examination room. Oh, there you are at long last. Will you be doing this operation? Are you a Dickensian orphan? Yes. You owe me I love it. Different I, no, I love it. No, I'm it's perfect. <laughs> me? Oh, no. I'm, I'm afraid I'm the surgeon's assistant. I came by to discuss this procedure with you before you meet the surgeon himself. Standard procedure, really. Oh, I see. Sorry to be so worked up over this. Quite understandable. Surgery can be anxiety-provoking. The good news is that you have a fantastic surgeon. He's the fastest in the business. Well, I suppose that's a good thing. How long do you suspect it will take him to remove this tumor from my testicle? Based on his past performance? About four minutes. Oh, really? Yep. The good doctor prides himself on his speed during the operation. In fact, we've recently developed techniques to help with pain. We call it anesthesia. Oh, yes. Well, that sounds excellent. But Dr. Liston is so fast, he doesn't care to bother with it. Cramps his style and adds time to the operation. He can't have that. Oh, I see. Oh, I hear him coming down the hall. Just to warn you, he's a bit intense. I'm awfully nervous as it is. Let me tell you something, Buster. You got a problem, I hear. Yeah, that's right. A problem I can take care of. Is that right, brother? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I I mean, I'm here for this growth on my testicle. That's enough out of you, meat. I'm here to do the talking. I got the stage now. I know you got a problem that needs fixing, brother. You come to the best in the business. You're in my world now. You know what that means? Oh, yeah. No? That means you're in the surgeon's domain. This is my house of pain, brother, and you are in it. But let me tell you something if you know what happens next, do you? No. All right, first, I'm going to get you in the operating room, yeah? Then I'm going to put you under the big, bright lights, okay? I'm going to listen for the cheers of the crowd. I'm going to get my sharpest knife, you see? Yeah. Then we're going to ring that bell. Let's start the clock, brother, and then I'm going to cut that tumor right out of you, and there will be blood. There will be mayhem, but in the end, I, I will be victorious. You hear what I'm saying, brother? Huh? Do you? Do you, punk? He's passed out cold, sir. One, two, three, he's done. Just like that. Should we do the operation now, then? No, I need my blood-covered smock, brother. You know that. Oh, of course, of course. I'll go get it. All right, extra blood starched, please. Yeah, 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 I know. I'll see you in the operating theater, then. Fine, fine, I'll see you in there. Wait, well... Uh, tea first? Oh, that sounds nice. Sure. Oh, yeah. Great tea first. Uh, Earl Grey okay? Oh, no. Way too bitter and strong for me. Just regular tea. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That makes sense. Weak tea it is. What did you say? Nothing. Go and get your blood smock and tea. All right, then. Poor historians, poor historians.
Welcome to everyone. This is once again Poor Historians, the podcast delving into the archives of medical history. We will explore the unusual ailments, treatments, physicians, and all related material having to do with the healing arts. I'm Max, and I'm joined here by my good friends and colleagues, Aaron and Mike. Gentlemen, how are we today? Good, good. Mm-hmm. Yep, same. I'm three goods. <laughs> three goods. Yeah. It's a three good, good, good. good. <laughs> it's not a contest. But I won. It's always a contest. It's always a contest. Life is a battle. Love is a battlefield <laughs> is the dumbest song lyric I've ever heard when you really sit and think about it. <laughs> That it's being said, really, though, depending on how you look at love, well, fair enough. Buddhists would say that love and life is suffering. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for tuning in today. We have our podcast up on all of the major networks, and we would very much appreciate anybody going over who enjoys what we're doing here to give us good reviews, give us likes, give us stars, thumbs up, what have you, and try to get us out there so we can keep this up we're having a good time doing it i want to know what are you guys drinking right now uh i was drinking herbal tea with honey and now it's gone so wow <laughs> why did you <laughs> why did i answer that honestly that's i don't know i was i thought you'd do something fun with it but uh, yeah. <laughs> i was obviously wrong i'm drinking no, I... water <laughs> yeah keep this segment forever <laughs> <laughs> all right oh flat-footed uh, on that one Woo, missed an opportunity well you know if i don't tell you what's coming up I, I gotta see how you react so we're all pleasantly surprised i was gonna say brackish water because that's uh, the see there we go brackish water <laughs> Though we are all practicing emergency physicians, we wish to be clear that this is not a podcast from which you or anybody should take medical advice this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If we should fail in our goal to provide entertainment, well, I guess this podcast just exists. It exists, however, to definitely not provide medical advice. With that, let's go back in time. Do you want me to do the title? Are we, uh, we're going to have done that want, man. Yeah. What are we talking about today, Mike? So we, we've done things about disease outbreaks and things like that. And, you know, you know, I wanted to kind of look into individuals of the day just because they were kind of larger than life. And it's mainly because there were a few notable people throughout history and they, you know, they wrote all these stories about them. But this, this one really kind of jumped out at me as an individual is really interesting. It kind of piggybacks to the, the anesthesia segment that we did. And the reason I like this guy is because by all accounts, he was a great surgeon, but he had one really bad day that made <laughs> huge news. And it was, it was awesome. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, it was so good. All right. So on a previous episode, um, we had mentioned the new practice of putting people to sleep. Um, that was the, the spongia spermif. <laughs> <laughs> I was like somebody about that episode and butchered our own <laughs> pronunciation. Like the spongy one, the spongy one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, they were using that to put people to sleep for their surgeries. I guess that goes, it predates the time that we're going to be talking about. But um, back in this day, if your surgeon was fast, he was good. And so before, especially before they used anesthetic, you did a fast surgery. That was the most compassionate thing you could do for somebody. 
And it seems to me that the only surgeries that were ever performed back then were amputations. I don't know if they did anything else. <laughs> Probably couldn't. I think they did, but man, they they kept it simple, didn't they? Yeah, they just cut stuff off. It's, yeah. You don't need this. You don't need this. Yep. So yeah, I wanted to do a deep dive into the life and the practice of Dr. Robert Liston, who sounds again like he was just larger than life. So Dr. Liston was the Scottish Lightning McQueen of the turn of the old-timey surgical world. Fast. He was a fast surgeon. So he was born in 1970. <laughs> 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 he was born in 1794. And he was reported to be an abrupt and abrasive and a very argumentative man. Well, at wait, the wait, same wait. time. I've never, uh, never known a surgeon like that. Yeah, no, they're usually either. all it's... really nice. They smile a lot. Good eye contact. <laughs> yeah. And as a side, in case any of our colleague surgeons do somehow find this podcast, we actually do work with very good surgeons and who are very unusually <laughs> yes. nice. I kind of think I'm like the Care Bears. Like, there's all the happy. They're always happy. You know, they're just just different flavors of happy. When I think residency is different, once you get out, like the things are so much better, and they just they kind of get uh, I don't know, misused in residency. So yeah, I can see like all of us would turn that way. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, with you know that that's kind of the description of his character. But at the same time, he was described as unfailingly charitable to the poor and tender to the sick. So he would usually take cases that nobody else wanted to to take care of. So he'd go to the tenements and just operate on people that were living in their apartments, and he would take care of people that were described as hopelessly incurable. That other surgeons. And you said this is like early eighteen eighteen hundreds ish. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so different times. So in yeah, he would just do it because he wanted to help people. And when he was operating in the hospital in his surgical theater, people would line up to see him because his mortality rate was ten percent compared to twenty five percent for his peers at the time. And he was really fast, so people were like, "I need this leg cut off. Cut off as fast as you can." Those aren't good odds either. <laughs> no, they're not. Ten percent. I know. I was trying really to think of what. To go find a surgeon. Yeah, I mean, our mortality rates. We we're not surgeons, but. Yeah, you'd think that we got to be way sub 1%. Oh, in, in like the modern way, era, way, way, easily. Yeah. I mean, there are certain procedures that are extremely high risk under emergent situations, but sure. But <laughs> I think this is probably all comers. <laughs> Just yeah. any, any case and uh, yikes. To be fair to the crabby surgeons I knew in residency, a lot of them would have this kind of aspect to their character that when you saw them with patients, you're like, why are you so nice to them and so terrible to me? I mean, it, there are a lot of people I knew that were that were really good to their, their patients too. So, Yeah, especially with the guys that we work with. It's like they clearly are there to take care of that community yeah. and they'll do anything to do it. Yeah. It's refreshing, so it, isn't it? Yeah, and it's kind of like that. So he was probably... He's like the great, 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 great grandfather of <laughs> the surgeons. And I'm sure his character kind of lives on in them. Hopefully not some other things that we'll talk about later. <laughs> <laughs> but so he was the first surgeon, to, or I guess the first surgeon to do a public operation using modern anesthesia. Uh, that was December 21st of 1846. And I'm just, I'm picturing this. So there's this dark operating room theater. A lot of them didn't have windows. They're really dimly lit. They had gas lamps. And so already kind of seems like a horror movie, like really scary. Dust floating everywhere. Like you would not want to be in this room, especially on a table in the middle. So then this guy who was big for the time, he's 6'2", huge guy, and he would just wear a green or a bottle green coat. 
And, you know, just kind of looking into these coats, it's essentially a surgical smock. And he would wear that for all his surgeries. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, modern day, that might be the ME, you know, yeah. or a oh, definitely. would wear something like this. I saw that scene in House of a Thousand Corpses, too. <laughs> yeah, gross. And they wanted him blood stiffened because if you had a blood stiffened coat, so your coat was so stiff when you put it on because it had a bunch of dried blood on it, you were considered a good surgeon. And they, they used to say, like, the, the stiffer the coat, the prouder the busy surgeon. And that was their, like, look at me. I got this stiff-ass coat on. <laughs> I'm wearing my patience from before on me. Mm -hmm. Look how many patients I've slaughtered. Blood. Right. Seems like a strange flex, but okay. Uh-huh. And we've been talking about germ theory and things like that, but uh, Liston was not on board with germ theory. He said cleanliness was next to prudishness, so he liked all this stuff. He he just felt like this is dirty, like I'm going to get dirty doing this. And that actually is another point. I keep saying that's going to be important later on, but there's something else that becomes important later on. So th this guy is totally larger than life. So he goes into this operating room theater. They're usually just packed just with students, people from the community. They come. They want to come watch this guy work. It's like... It's like watching Dancing with the Stars. You know, they want to see this guy. He's huge. And he typically would come in and he would do his presentation to the the people watching and just say stuff. He would call out his contemporaries. There was a, a surgeon. There was a German competitor that was apparently a fast surgeon as well. And apparently during one of his surgeries or just before, he just said, this Yankee Dodge beats mesmerism hollow. And I tried to look that up and... I don't know. Like, I can't tell if he's calling him out, but that's kind of like the same as Jake Paul saying, gotcha hat. <laughs> I, I, I do think it, it is an excellent analogy to a WWE entrance coming down the ramp. You've got to have your, your theme music. You've got to have the lights hit the right way. You got to work the crowd. You've got to stand on the top turnbuckle. You've got to do your thing. You've got to have a signature. You know, whether you're Triple H spitting water into the air, Goldberg, you got your fire and your, your arm swingy thing. And I'm sure this guy did the same thing, except with a big knife. When I first read this, I thought I thought his German competitor was actually in the same place. And I think that would be just the best. Like, just have side-by-side, -side, you know, operations going on, and then you call each other out at the time. <laughs> I, I would probably pay to watch that show. <laughs> I've paid for weirder wrestling pay-per-views. <laughs> so, yeah. So, listen, he was known as the fastest wife. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I won't. Yeah, no comment. The fastest knife in the West End. So, he had a catchphrase. So, a lot of, like you were saying, Max, a lot of these wrestlers have their the action that they do when they come into the rink, their catchphrase, like I, when The Rock was wrestling, right? Can you smell what The Rock was cooking? Would he say that? Uh, yes. He, but he wasn't he, the chef. He was the rock. What is it? <laughs> Why would the rock cook anything? I mean, I as much as I absolutely Stumped. love wrestling, I try not to overthink it. You know, yeah. like you, it doesn't even need to be a catchphrase. Like every time you hear a glass break, whether you're at a bar or you're at a wrestling show, you know, Stone Cold's coming to the ring. So you just need to have a thing. So it's his thing. It's like everybody pay attention. I'm about to get my wrestle on. Absolutely. Yeah. So his, yeah, his catchphrase was time me gentlemen. That doesn't sound that cool, but he would just say time me gentlemen, time me. So when, when he said that, that essentially started the surgery. 
Yeah, but imagine imagine that, right? Yeah, dark room. He's probably holding up the knife, right? And it's mm-hmm. like glinting in the light, and there's the patient's like wide awake. Oh my god, that would be. I'm sure the context was everything for that phrase. Horrifying. Just think about some of our collective consciousness. Like we we may have some of these memories from our ancestors oh, in our man. heads, and that's why we're afraid of going to the doctor. It's not because of us, because I'm going to give you a, a shot or or numb up your cut. It's because of this guy, because he's going to rip your leg <laughs> off. I was afraid of the needles, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I was afraid of? This is going to get that? real weird. Oh, good. <laughs> and there, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to identify with me. I don't even know if I want to say it now. But you go in, you get your sports physicals, and you're going to go see the doctor. And then you're like, oh God. what if my doctor's not there? And then there's a female doctor. And then what if they do my hernia check and I get a boner? <laughs> I didn't care about the needles. I was just like definitely afraid of getting a boner. <laughs> I think that stays in. I think that stays in. Yeah. Well, so now people know a little bit more about me. I, I, most people who know you are not going to be surprised by that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're a patient, you're really vulnerable. I mean, there's something too. You have to be all undressed, and it, it's it is it's difficult. I think. Yeah, it you is know, weird. There's a lot. I just don't like needles. They hurt. Weird. Yeah, that's also very fair. Yeah. I'm very. What do you think about boners? <laughs> You mix those two things. Uh, oh, that's oh, that's, that's, oh, oh hey, listen, that's never a, fun. maybe we should do that. I you was mix that. It's usually two needles, you know. I was really good at making it weirder. Yeah, I was really good at making boners disappear, but not in the way that you think. <laughs> <laughs> I had a there was a rash like there was one year where I saw. I don't you know, had like, a rash. I 15, have that audio. No, it was like <laughs> fifteen, uh, fifteen priapisms in a year. It was insane. That, that anyway. is a lot. I'm convinced that they have to do more than if you have a doc, if you have an erection lasting more than four hours, go see a doctor. Like that's not enough of a warning for those pills. It has to be like, if you have an erection lasting more than four hours, go see the doctor and they're going to jab a needle in either side of your boner and drain blood out in front of you until mm-hmm. it, until it detumesces. That's what they have to say. Cause otherwise yeah, you might think twice. You'd be like, you know what? I'm just going to go get another hobby. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really sure why people are afraid of the doctor now that you mention it. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess going oh, back. We activated again. Max's phobias. Boners and needles. Now. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, he would say, time me, gentlemen, time me. Everybody would pull out their, their watches. They would start timing them. Everybody would do it. It was kind of like a thing. It was like the, you know, he, he says his catchphrase, he'd do their callback. They might've even said something back. And then he would, he could amputate a leg from start to finish in two and a half minutes. That's cutting skin, cutting bone and closing the wound. Oh, geez. So yeah. That's so crazy. from the reports, they said that he would make his initial incision. So he had this knife that ultimately was named after him. It was probably about, it was eight to 10 inches long, sharp on one side, flat on the other. So he would take that he would cut through the skin down to, again, it's usually legs. So either, let's just say it's the femur, cut down to the femur. He would then, to save time, put that knife that he just cut half of your leg off, put it in his mouth, pull out his saw, saw through the femur, change it out, cut the rest of it, and then start sewing stuff up. I'm sure there had to be some blood loss control and things like that, like tying off vessels. But yeah, he could do this thing in two and a half minutes, which was... Markedly faster than his contemporaries. 
they named that knife after him. It's a Liston knife. And I saw a bunch of pictures. There were like some Civil War pictures of a bunch of field surgeons. They were all standing there with their Liston knives. And they think that Jack the Ripper actually used that knife. And who knows? Maybe this was Jack the Ripper. Um, you can still buy them today. Yeah, I actually just saw one. I can't remember where I saw it. I was like, holy, yeah, that's that's the knife right there. That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. <laughs> really long, really sharp. And to I guess for people to understand what this is like, like if you've ever, if there's an orthopedist listening, they're like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. But to to cut through somebody's bone, especially when they're awake and screaming, would be like, it, it would put a lot of us on the ground, I'm sure. Oh, there are certain procedures we have to do. Like think about, uh, there's a procedure called a chest tube, right? Where the patient has something like a collapsed lung or an injury to the chest where there's blood filling up behind the lung. And so you have to essentially put a hole in the side of the chest and put a tube through that hole behind the lung to drain either the air out or to drain the blood out that is accumulating. The often it's done under a lot of times an emergent circumstance, especially in certain traumas. And we have modern abilities to put the skin to sleep with anesthetics and you can use a bunch of that stuff, but it still, still hurts. And I mean, the first time and you have, and there's plenty of times you have to do it. You just, you have to. And even though you can numb up the skin and things, you know, it's, it's still got a degree of pain involved. And I, I've, I, even to this day, like it's still, it'll make me sweat when I have to do it because I would say, I don't think any of us likes causing any pain. We sometimes have to, but I cannot imagine doing this in a day and age when you did not have local anesthetic and those things. And they make these things so much easier on, on everybody. And then honestly us as well. Yeah, and just some of these. So when I first started, I was working at a really tiny ER, and um, this guy just amputated the tip of his finger off. So the bone was still sticking out farther than the tissue was. And I talked to the the on-call orthopedist, and he's like, well, just rondure it back and, and close it up. And a rondure is a little, like... Uh, Giant nail clipper. Yeah, essentially, that's designed to crunch bone away. And you just kind of slowly crunch away at that bone, and like you're you're looking at this guy. He's looking at you. You're crunching away at his bone. And like, listen, did these procedures in two and a half minutes. That took me about an hour. And I literally, I felt like I was going to pass out about four times. On a patient who could not feel their finger. On a patient who could not feel their finger. Right. There was no screaming. It was like, this is gross, but. Because you uh, can anesthetize their finger. So it's completely asleep. Yeah. I can't imagine this. Yeah. And that, and that's probably why I did it so fast. He's like, I don't want to deal with this screaming let's i could do two and a half minutes i can't do much more than that yeah i mean it is definitely a kindness in the circumstance there's no way that making that longer than it has to be is good Mm -hmm. for anyone yeah and you could tell that this guy wanted to do it fast because he wanted to do it well and he wanted to do it kindly and compassionately and he's famous for this two and a half minute amputation and that's going to be his most famous case so they they actually have a bunch of his cases listed i mean this guy was huge back in the day um, I'll go through just his four most kind of notable cases. The you know one that might sound familiar. So this this guy came in with a forty five pound tumor in his scrotum, and it was probably a it was a teratoma, which is basically it's a benign tumor, right? So it's not really a cancer tu- cancerous tumor, but it can grow and grow and grow. It can get to be really large. Mm-hmm. Find them in ovaries too, and they tend to be interesting because they have like teeth and hair and a bunch of different mm-hmm. tissues that grow out of embryonic 
they're kind of an embryonic um, mishmash of other tissues and interesting. Uh, you can get all kinds of weird stuff that they're, comes out they're, of them. they're pure nightmare fuel, man. Those things give me the heebie jeebies. Oh well, yeah. If you got your phone out, just teething. Google teratoma. Yeah. Oh, those things are... <laughs> but they can grow pretty large. So yes. yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. So this one was 45 pounds. The guy had to wheel it around in a wheelbarrow because it weighed so much and Liston was able to take care of it in four minutes. I bet um, that guy like that, the, if that happened in his late teens and early twenties, he probably thought it was really cool for like the first couple of weeks because that's how guys are <laughs> like, Oh, check out this. Oh, and then it kept growing and then it, he probably didn't think it was cool anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. That's cool. And I'm sure like, you don't know what the margins were. I don't even know if you need to know what the margins are on a teratoma, like make sure you get all of it. You probably do it in four minutes. Yeah. I wonder if he just had the guy squat down and he was just like, snip. <laughs> and the thing just fell onto the ground. Uh, Crazy. Yeah. The other one, this one's actually kind of sad. So in, I don't know if this was written up in a medical journal, but you know, with all that bravado and flashiness, definitely was confident and sometimes overconfident in his skills. So he was doing rounds at someone's house and there was a, a small boy, they said, who had a, a red and pulsating tumor on his neck. So he, he went there with his house surgeon, so probably a resident, and Liston was fairly convinced that it was an abscess, so pocket of pus underneath the skin. The house surgeon was like, no, I don't know. I think this is an aneurysm. So Liston, his response was, poo. <laughs> this is poo. <laughs> Whoever heard of an aneurysm and one so young? And then like before anyone can do anything, he pulls out his knife and pokes it in the kid's neck. And... They said it, the way they wrote it was out leaped arterial blood and the boy fell. So apparently he just died right there because he cut open his aneurysm. Oh, that, that's a bad um, yeah. yeah. So, but that aneurysm is still on display in a, a museum in London. <laughs> I you think, you just think twice oh, about geez. it, man. Just, yeah. Cutting all, doesn't always work to kind of moving on with his speed and maybe going too fast. Um, he did his two and a half minute leg amputation but while he was doing it, he inadvertently cut off this guy's testicles. So like one fell. So it must have been a really proximal amputation. But this man, guy yeah. definitely has a thing. He's yeah. He's he's, he's good he at either he's, loves nuts he's good or at hates certain pieces. Yeah, yeah he's, <laughs> certain pieces. Maybe he didn't have any nuts, and he wanted to make everyone like him. <laughs> I could not find that on Wikipedia. Okay, whether or not he had nuts. <laughs> So then, so the most famous case and the reason for this deep dive and the reason for the, the title of the podcast and, and all that, and actually how Dr. Liston came to me was that he's apparently the only surgeon in at least in recorded history to have a 300% mortality rate with one surgery. Not a good stat. Against, yeah. Not I mean, a good stat. He's normally a 10% guy, but then this day he had a really bad day. <laughs> um, so he... Every, you know, every statistic has an outlier. Yeah, I mean, this is right. It's an N of three. It's like big deal. This is a might have been a, like a seven percent guy if it wasn't for this one case. <laughs> Maybe, it, yeah, really, it would have thrown it way up. But so he's got another leg amputation again. Apparently, the only procedure that surgeons did in the eighteen hundreds. But so they they put the patient on the table. His assistant's getting everything ready. He does his thing. He's he's getting the crowd pumped up. Turns around, starts his incision, and while he's cutting through the guy's leg to start the procedure, he cuts his assistant's fingers off. He <laughs> goes clean through the fingers all the way down to the femur, finishes the procedure. I think he's like, yeah, get this guy out of here. He's bleeding all over the place. Uh, probably had him bleed a little bit onto his smock first. He's like, 
Yeah, he goes away. They're like, all right, you got to go attend to him. After he cut off the guy's fingers and the assistant screams, Liston kind of reared back and took his knife and he inadvertently cut. There's somebody that was watching the procedure like right behind him. Uh, they said they, they clipped the spectator's coattails and the guy was convinced that he just got stabbed too and he apparently died of a heart attack right then and there. <laughs> so he claps on the ground dead. Like he's the 200%. first. 200%. Yeah, he's the first one to die. The other guy didn't die. Oh, he's 100%. Within a couple of days, the patient and his assistant both died of um, sepsis, oh, and that was it. And I don't oh know that God. it didn't seem like he was too tore up about it, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I get the like impression he might not have been. I, I'm assuming the uh, malpractice environment was a little bit different. When yeah, looking at these cases, it's changed a little bit over the years. Yeah. So basically, to recap, he the patient that he operated on succumbs dies from the operation he cut off the assistant's fingers and the assistant gets an infection in the hand and dies within a couple of days and some other guy just freaked out because he thought he got involved there was cut in this whole thing and then he just collapses and dies (laughs) and dr liston basically sets a record that hopefully is never broken yes let's not go for that one yeah he killed three people with one surgical (laughs) procedure. procedure So, you know, if you look into this too, you read this case, you're like, wow, that's kind of unbelievable. And, and they thought maybe that was that German contemporary guy who, <laughs> who put this out there almost like in a tabloid. Like, you don't want to see this guy because like, look at what he did. Die. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's reckless. He's like Maverick. But as far as we know, he, he had a 300% mortality rate and that's, I mean, it's not cool for them, but it's, it's kind of a funny statistic to look at now. Jeez. You know, hundreds of years later. Uh, yeah. Is it too soon? Too soon. No, there's, what's the, what's the, there's a formula, right? Time plus tragedy plus time. Equals I mean, comedy. Is it really? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> nice. But that being said, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So like going back to the beginning, listen, just absolutely. He didn't believe in germ theory. And he was like, yeah, get me covered in blood. But one of his most famous students is Dr. Joseph Lister, who then became the champion of aseptic techniques and advanced germ theory. It's what Listerine is named after. And we actually might, we might talk about him in another episode, but so Lister is the father of modern surgery. Apparently his skills weren't that great. Like he had good outcomes because he was clean and all that. But (laughs) they said, as far as his surgeon, they're like, no, Lister was way better. Or Liston was way better. Um, (laughs) So yeah, so Lister is thought of, of as the father of modern surgery, but Dr. Liston is probably the alcoholic reprobate grandfather of modern surgery. <laughs> fair. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I was, thought it was interesting. to the end. Right? Seemed like a cool guy. Oh, and then another interesting, so going back to this kid that he inadvertently murdered by lancing his aneurysm, Liston died of a, an aneurysm. It was probably oh, karma. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah, Coincidence? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Did he wake up one morning and he's like shaving? He sees this bulging thing on the side of his neck and he's like, you know what? Mm-hmm. Nope, I was wrong. <laughs> nope. Well, there you go. I'm glad things have changed. That'd be a bad mix up in the directory between Liston and Lister, wouldn't it? Like, I'm going yeah, to see, think- I forget, is it Liston or Lister? Which one should I see? Yeah, you get very different outcomes from those two people. When it's probably all handwritten in some ledger. They would yeah, look right. awfully similar with the calligraphy. 
Yeah, I'm looking for Dr. Listed, Listed. I don't forget which one it is. If it's your leg or your scrotum, then it's probably Listed. It's both. Did you leave <laughs> with both of those parts or not? Ladies and gentlemen in attendance at this year operating theater in merry old England, this match is scheduled for one fall. Already present in the ring is the challenger weighing in at 45 pounds. He is attached to our patient's testicle. This large tumor has been present for a while and has become a burden. He's large, he's benign, he probably contains teeth and hair, but he's not going away on his own. I give you the terrible testicular teratoma. I am not going anywhere. Come and get me. And his opponent making his way to the ring. He's the fastest blade in England. He boasts an incredibly low mortality rate of just 10%. He is the undisputed champion of the operating theater and a master of the surgical arts. The one, the only, Dr. Liston. Oh yeah, Buster, your days are numbered. I'm gonna cut you down in little bloody pieces, brother. Don't get comfortable there, because you're about to be excised, evicted, and eviscerated. Yeah! I'm staying right here, knife man. Your funeral students, Tommy, and ring that bell. Well, folks, we're underway. Thank you for joining us for the clash of these titans. Right now, Dr. Liston has his blade in hand circling his opponent. Now, that can't be legal. Doesn't he get disqualified for using weapons? Normally he would, but this is a hardcore, no-holds-barred, no-disqualification surgical match. Oh man, this is going to get messy. Teratoma ducked the knife and struck Dr. Liston with a low blow. He can't do that. He sure can. There are no disqualifications. I bet Liston's singing soprano after that one. Man, he dropped his knife. Folks, he's breathing heavily, but seems to have collected himself. They lock up in the center of the ring. Transition to headlock and Teratoma pushes Liston into the ropes for an Irish whip. Oh, the Teratoma hit a dropkick. Liston's back up and he looks angry, folks. Big chop from Teratoma. Liston seems unaffected. He's trembling with rage. He's, he's... He's looking for his finisher, the scalpel's edge. He's got the knife in his teeth and he's got Teratoma in his grasp. <laughs> oh, going to be sick. Hey, it's just a little blood. Get over it. It looks like one of the little... is completely detached from the testicle. One fell swoop. There seems to be something wrong with the ref. Now, Dr. Listen's known to be enthusiastic at times, but it looks like he got a bit of the ref. Oh, he's, he's eviscerated the ref. Oh, no. Uh, is that a disqualification? It should be. We need a new ref. Both the ref and Teratoma are unconscious in the ring. Dr. Liston stands as the sole survivor and still champion surgeon of the operating theater. Oh yeah, I want to thank all you fans. Without you, I wouldn't be here. I want to put all the hernias and all the tumors and all the aneurysms and all the infections and all the other anatomical malcontents on notice. The doctor's in the house and it's operating time. Oh yeah, brother.
That is the greatest thing I've ever written in my life. (laughs) (laughs) My friends are going to fucking lose it. Well, that was certainly different, I would say. So let's uh, let's take a look, see what was going on uh, back in the old Boston Precursor Medical Journal Report of Medical Societies. You know what I mean? The annals it of even feel uh, like a sentence. <laughs> I, I I don't think it was. So we're gonna take a look back at annals. the in the old annals I was, of. I think you're pronouncing. No, it's it not I Mike. It's... <laughs> it's, I know it's not. We're gonna look at a really old medical journal article from 1861, uh, right at around the start of the uh, Civil War that. I thought it was very interesting reading through it because it sort of gives us a, a peek into how they started to put together certain pathophysiology. In other words, the ways that things break down and don't work as well. And they get really close to getting the answer right or connecting the dots. And they just, I just they fall a little short of making, making the, the association. But I'm going to give you guys three cases that uh, this is exactly how they were written. And then we'll kind of talk about, for us, it'll be kind of obvious what had happened, but it's kind of fun to see see them putting this pe- these pieces together. So uh, this was from March 25th of 1861. The sub-article is called Softening of the Heart as a Cause of Sudden Cardiac Death. And this was written by a Dr. Ellis. So first case, the patient was a large, robust-looking man, 57 years of age. He had been much depressed by misfortunes in business, but notwithstanding enjoyed very good health until about six weeks before his death when he was suddenly attacked with severe pain and a sense of stricture across the front of his chest this lasted but a short time and then he felt as well as ever he continued to have similar attacks occasionally but of such short duration that it was thought useless to send for a physician i do like that detail (laughs) what are they gonna do anyway that's, they're just going to bleed him. Fair. I mean, it's the 1860s. Yeah, that's or they're going to get their journal and they're just going to start the leeches. Like, yeah, drawing pictures of him and very <laughs> verbose <laughs> descriptions of his shirt and how many buttons he has buttoned. And... <laughs> what country was your grandmother from, sir? That's important. Because we got to figure out your stock. <laughs> In the evening, he sat up and played chess until nearly midnight, fearing another attack. Gamer. <laughs> He was troubled by pain through the sternum and oppression about the chest. I am going to put that in a chart at some point. His wife left him standing while she went to procure something in another part of the room when he was observed to slide into a chair and thence to the floor. A neighboring physician was sent for who pronounced him dead. Then he jumped to the autopsy. (laughs) The organs were all healthy except the heart, which was flaccid of a dull red color and so soft that it broke down under the traction used in its removal. It could be perforated meaning punched through, with the greatest ease on pressing it between the thumb and finger. The layer of fat had encroached upon the wall of the right ventricle, the muscular substance of which was very thin. And this is kind of cool because they actually did a histiologic or a microscope uh, slide of the tissue itself and commented on it. And they found that the muscle tissue seemed to be replaced by well-marked cases of fatty degeneration. Second case... This patient is a convict in the state prison, 29 years of age. Dr. Bancroft, the physician of the prison, stated that he had had several attacks of faintness or dyspnea, which attracted but little attention. (laughs) Finally, on the day of his death, he ate his dinner as usual, returned to the workshop, seated himself, fell as if fainting, 
and died. On examination, the brain and all other organs, nothing abnormal was found, except in the heart, which was of a dull brown color and perforated with the greatest ease. And they actually say, yeah, they did a microscope examination, pretty similar to the first case. Hmm. In the last case, case three, Dr. Ainsworth gave the history of this one. A gentleman, 79 or 80 years old, regular and temperate in his habits, and previously healthy, began about six months ago to have pain in the region of his sternum at intervals. After exertion or excitement, without acceleration of the pulse or apparent obstruction of the circulation. I like that comment. (laughs) And without physical signs of disease of the heart or lungs. The attacks became more severe, more frequent, and of longer duration, lasting 15 to 20 minutes. On the evening of March 23rd, he was as well as usual at 10 o'clock and took some cider and water to relieve a craving for acids. We've all been there. Yes, been there. Acid cravings? Acid, I just need acid. No, No more base just acid. He went to bed and slept, but at 3 a.m. he was seized with a very violent paroxysm. He was aware of the precursor of death. He died in less than an hour from the beginning of the attack. Oof. Yep. So similarly, they do another autopsy, and this one they comment, the substance of the heart was light-colored, quite soft, yielding very readily to pressure between the thumb and finger. They they squish a lot of hearts. (laughs) Squish, squish, squish. What do you do? I don't know. But I like this one. They have this little other comment. One of the coronary arteries was ossified, meaning (laughs) had calcium or looked like bone, basically, Um, but seemed, they used the word pervious. Oh, as opposed to impervious. It seems like an old timey thing to do. Definitely. uh, There's that's an old timey word. So I like calling people credulous, too. That's another one. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, so I wanted to ask you, like, I don't think what would we call these cases, right? heart attacks man that's infarction yeah. i would think yeah they just infarcted a giant part of their heart right and so infarcting meaning basically the, the the tissue lost blood flow because there was a blockage to one of the arteries of the heart and your heart has arteries that come right out of the freshest blood coming out of the heart and those arteries supply the heart muscle with blood because your your heart even though it pumps all the blood still needs blood to do its thing and so when one of those arteries gets blocked up all the tissue that depends on that blood basically dies in the worst circumstance and it gets replaced by scar tissue, which is probably what they're seeing on these slides. And so um, we, these cases are like textbook. Yeah. Maybe with the exception of the younger guy, what we would call unstable angina, which is basically uh, the term for chest pain, you know, related, yeah. that we believe is related to the heart. So the interesting thing was, They are right there. They basically have the connection. But when you read through the rest of it, they don't connect the fact that the cardiac disease, meaning the artery that was not supplying the heart or what we would call a blocked artery here, was responsible for the scar scar tissue. They kind of think about it backwards. And so this doctor basically identifies the, quote, apparent connection between softening of the heart and sudden death. So from their standpoint, it's like, I, you know, the heart got soft, man. The heart it, got uh, soft. It's just, you know. Needed more heart like, exercises, man. That heart. You got a nervobilious uh, constitution. Your heart softens and 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 down you know, down these patients went. I mean, the real but, question is which miasma softens the heart? Because if you could figure out which bad smell makes the heart get soft, you would save hundreds of lives. That's the key. Absolutely. No, absolutely. But it was kind of a cool thing to read. I mean, they're they're they're. They're piecing together the, 
we would term the pathophysiology the way that things break. Yeah. Um, and you can see them so close to making the connection. And it just, you know, it happens later, but it just doesn't happen in these cases. And so these patients all basically died of uh, heart attacks and they were seeing on autopsy the evidence of what it did to the heart muscle. And we yeah. know from today when you have those scars in your heart and, you know, certainly if a heart attack goes untreated or even can be silent, you don't have a lot of symptoms and you form those scars, those scars become a problem because the and softness of the heart in an extreme can be a problem, but those scars do not conduct electricity very well. And so sometimes the heart can then shoot off into these rhythms that are potentially dangerous. And so yeah, this is kind of, of an early example where they almost put that together. Wonder about that with a younger, the guy in jail. I love the little comment about how they ignored the guy in jail who had just Yeah, they, they definitely, <laughs> he definitely, he had um, two fine. paragraphs written about him. We had jailitis, that's why. <laughs> that's that's absolutely uh you can tell they just they sort of discounted it but i mean in fairness i'm sure what, what i don't know what uh the relative reverse inflation rate on your life expectancy in this age i don't yeah, know how to term that that's true 20 a 29 year old in this day and age that we are discussing here is probably <laughs> equivalent to like a 75 year old given. yeah especially in prison right oh there's like no water just drink alcohol and smoke cigarettes all day. Buy yeah. cocaine at the store. Yeah, it is. It is. I wonder what we're doing that with now. That's what I always wonder. Like, what are what are we looking at now in patients where we're just missing what's actually happening? Probably less 5G. than it was before. Five yeah. G <laughs> microwaves <laughs> around oh, Earth. There will be, I think, a hundred years from now, a podcast talking about how ridiculous some of the things we do nowadays are. Oh, sure, totally. It was in Star Trek, man. Doctor Bones came back and was aghast at dialysis, right? And that's was Star Trek Five. Wow, so this is an episode featuring both wrestling and Star Trek references. Way to go! Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Can we get a Star Wars reference in there? Can we do that, or does it have no. to be? No, uh, of course not. Darth Vader is faster than Dr. Liston at amputation. Oh, they brought him back to life. Yeah, they resuscitated or they yeah, resuscitated <laughs> him and he's more machine now than man. <laughs> Dear podcast listener, I thought I'd take a moment to interrupt at this point in the track to say a tangent will be following. After this moment, we begin to descend into personal anecdotes regarding Star Wars episode 1 and Although I feel this is very reasonable and worthwhile time spent, I don't know that it is directly related to medical history. I don't know that it's not either, to be fair, but I thought I'd take a moment to say this would be a reasonable end to the podcast. However, if you need a little bit more, listen on. Anyhow, if this is where you're stopping, I want to thank you very much for listening and would encourage you to give us all the upvotes, all the stars, all the likes, all the things we can do to promote this podcast further and would very much appreciate you taking the time to do so. Until then, we will see you in a couple weeks with our next episode. And now, let's talk about Star Wars Episode 1. You probably do a faster amputation with that. The laser sword? <laughs> oh, or, yeah, lightsaber. Are you talking about a laser the... sword? It's a laser sword. I'm pretty sure that's what... It's a lightsaber, Mike. Anakin. No, young Anakin referred to it as a laser sword. <laughs> Young Anakin was problematic for many reasons. I know that poor kid. Yeah. He... Oh, it's funny. Yeah, I was texting my son about doing podcast recordings, and so I said, 
I'm a podcaster. And it made me think of Anakin when he's like, I'm a pod racer. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a pod a podcaster, you know, I'm a pilot, you know, it's like, shut up, you little shit. Just shut up and go away. Everybody was so mad at that kid. And I, I was among them because I'm going to, I don't know if this will stay in the episode, but the only time I ever got detention in high school because I was a well-behaved uh, teenager the only time I got detention was because I skipped school to wait in line to get Star Wars Episode One tickets when they came out. Mm-hmm. And so my dad called me off uh, from school citing, quote, religious observances. Nice. That is and good parenting right there. It just so, so happened that uh, because my friends and I were like second in line of a bunch of people camping out, we made the paper. And I don't know how <laughs> this got back to the principal, but he... He caught, I literally got called to the office out of nowhere. It was like religious observances. I mean, you skip school. And I mean, part of me was like, this, you're picking it on was me a for religious this? Really? Come yeah, on. I know. Modern me would have definitely raised that case. But anyway, I, well, so he, it's, well, probably. but he, uh, so then he, I remember him saying, you, I mean, you're, you're I'm going to give you detention for this. I mean, was it really worth it? I was like, Yeah. Obviously, I'm getting detention for Star Wars. And then I went and saw episode one. And I don't know that it was worth it. In retrospect, I, I got detention before I actually went and saw it. I, I, we we stood, stood in line. We dressed up. Um, Car Actually, she did her hair like in Princess Leia buns. I'm amazed that she like she had awesome. the two. Yeah, it was really awesome. I remember sitting in the theater watching it and you clapped and such. And, and it started. And I remember this feeling throughout the theater. Like, is it really this bad? And as you watched it, you're just like, oh, God, it really is. I mean, they did to work up to that was they released all three of the original trilogy in the theater. And so we all went like, you know, Lucasfilm thing comes up. Everybody goes crazy. And then, yeah, episode one happens. You're like, what the hell? Even the, I mean, starting with the, the, what was the, I've blocked it out. It's so traumatic. The Trade Federation, like the accents of the Trade Federation. You're like, oh my God, that's the worst (laughs) on-screen stereotype I've seen. (laughs) Well, yeah. And that whole, and not to mention that whole like segment was like, oh, trade negotiation. This is good TV. (laughs) Awesome. I love action. What are we doing here? So, yep. I got detention for Star Wars. That's good nerd cred right there. Yeah. I, I evolved. I went, you know, I, I really did mature as a nerd and I went and, and I, I haven't so much been on, on the Star Wars kick nowadays, um, but I've migrated to uh, to love wrestling once again. So I don't think all of that will make it in there, but we got to at least do some of it. For his story. 